Come with us on a journey into the unknown, the unexplained, and the unbelievable. We will test your senses and challenge your beliefs. A world where science and religion clash. Or do they? You will meet real people and hear real stories, but you will not believe. You will witness strange sights and hear strange sounds, but you will not believe. This is the New England Ghost Project. Welcome to the Good evening, everyone, and welcome to Hour 2 of Ghost Chronicles Radio. I am Ron Kolick, your host, gatekeeping around with the unknown, unexplained, unbelievable, and all that other crap. And with me, my co-host, the lovely blonde shell herself, Anne Carrigan. Well, hello. It's so nice to be back. Yeah, it's, we've got to get this regular again. I so. know, right? It's just, uh, I'm ready to be done with it. Yeah, so uh, weird stuff going on here, but uh, this is yeah. Go ahead. Yeah, no, I was just gonna say everybody is well, thank God, and uh, I hope you all are well out there too. There you go. So this is a, a new format we'll be doing now. Two, two hours of Ghost Chronicles Radio with the international show at six o'clock and at seven o'clock Eastern Standard Time. Of course, is Next Generation. Who knows? I may get the morning show after that. <laughs> 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 but anyway, uh, we got a great show today. Uh, yes. Someone who I had the pleasure to meet uh, a couple of years ago up at Spur, of course. Uh, he's a amateur archaeologist. I think that's a good term for him. I was thinking of trying to think of a name for him, but I, I like that term because uh, that's always <laughs> something I've always wanted to be. <laughs> okay. he, is, uh, he is Derek Gunn. Derek, you there? Hi, Ron. Hi, Ann. How are you guys doing? Uh, very well. Thanks, Derek. Nice to have you back. Oh, it's Will nice you... to be back. I think this is time number three. This is great. Yeah. So will you accept the term archaeologist? Yeah, I'm an avocational archaeologist, I guess you could say. Sure, hobbyist. Um, I mean, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not an academic, but I've been at it a little while, and I've been a member of the, you know, the MAS, the Mass Archaeology Society, and a member of NERA. And, um, you know, I've been looking at stuff for 20, 25 years, so, you know, seen a few things. Um, but, you know, it's, it's the process, you know, getting an eye for artifacts uh sometimes some people are showing me some triangular pointy rocks and you, you get an eye for this stuff and um you get some experience under your belt um and i i did see a uh, a dig it was pretty interesting over in uh in middleborough that uh, dr kurt hoffman had going over there and it was looking down in a hole and it was like a three thousand year old hearth over by the namaskit oh. there and it's pretty interesting to look at just look down a couple of feet you're looking at you know three uh millennia millennia you know it's pretty interesting stuff. Um, that's crazy. Yeah, I think that's a nice term. Thanks, thanks, thanks for calling me an archaeologist of some sort, Ron. I appreciate it. <laughs> well, that's that's something I always wanted to be, so I figured you'd want to be too. <laughs> <laughs> I'm with you on that. <laughs> so, I mean, Derek, how'd you get interested in in uh, what you do, all looking and and researching uh, stone structures and so forth in New England? Well, what what happened with me uh, was, believe it or not, it was a Christmas present. It was a Christmas Christmas present from my father, John. Uh, back in '87, I, I bought a book called the The Highland Clans by mm-hmm. I believe his name was Sir Ian Moncrief or something along those lines. And 
before I wrapped it up for Christmas, I was 20 at the time, I wrapped it up for my dad, and uh, it was Christmas time, and I, I just, you know, there was like a chapter on each name, you know, the McGregors and the McKays and this, that. So I looked at, um, before I wrapped it to give it to him, I just, you know, I, I was like, oh, let's see what they say about the guns, you know? And uh, down in the side, of the, the margin, it said, it had a little segment, a little blurb about this inscription in Westford, Mass., and, of course, I, I grew up in Marshfield, Mass., so Westford's not too, too far from me. I mean, it's in the same state. It's over on the side of the state. And uh, it, it mentioned that there was, it said, surprisingly enough, the, the family, you know, coat of arms of this family is etched on a rock in or about 1395. And, of course, when I read it, I, it didn't make any sense to me. I thought it was a typo. I thought they meant 1895 because <laughs> with what we learned in history class, right, there shouldn't be any, any you know, European people here in 1395 or 1396 or whatever, right? Um, they actually think the date maybe was more 13, um, 98, 99, but this book said 95, so whatever. But it, but it said that there was a, uh, an effigy carved in stone. You can see the sword quite well, but some people see kind of a face and maybe a shield. And they were claiming that my family coat of arms was etched on a rock in Westford, Mass. And so what happened was back in 1987, I was uh, more into music, I would say, than I was into archaeology, maybe mu more music and art. And... Mm -hmm. I, I finally made my way up to Westford around 19, I'd say 92, when I met with Virginia Kimball and uh -huh. Norman Bigart and Bill Collins. And, uh, and, and Norman Bigart is a gun on his mother's side. And these were the members of um, the, the Westford Night Committee. And Virginia Kimball, I met her at her home. We were talking yep. in 92. And she said, well, Derek, you know, you realize this isn't an isolated thing. There's, you know, there's the Newport Tower and there's America's Stonehenge up in Salem, New Hampshire, and there's. Dighton Rock. I forget exactly which cases she gave. I think she gave some of what I call the biggies, you know, the, the Dighton Rocks and different things, and Newport Tower. And when she said that, I said, geez, I, I, you know, I, I guess you can go to high school and not learn much about those kind of anomalies. Um, I was like, I was like, huh, Dighton Rock? I don't think I even heard of it, unfortunately. And uh, so that <laughs> led me, you guys, to like, okay, there's all the, there are these things out there, evidently. You know, there are chambers and there are these standing stones and inscriptions and odd artifacts. And so I started... I started getting interested in it, and, and, and what happened with me was, I think, because I didn't want to end up in Vermont every other weekend, and I just became interested in, like, sort of, like, what's in Massachusetts? What's in my home state, you know? Right. I don't even know what's going on in the Berkshires. I grew up in Marshall. I'm not even familiar with, like, you know, these towns like Peru, Mass, and Hinsdale, and, like, what's going on? So I just decided to, for the interest of keeping it sort of manageable, and plus out of my own curiosity about learning more about my state, I started working on this idea called, you know, Amazing Massachusetts, and um, mm -hmm. and that's sort of what got going. Was actually a Christmas gift. Wow! Did you end up giving <laughs> that book to your dad, or did you keep it? <laughs> no, no, he. I think he still has it, you know. And uh, it's a great book, and and it's funny because the book that mentions the um, the gun night in the Westford that whole case was okay. um, was published in 1967, which coincidentally happens to be the year I was born. And so I said, oh, 1967, uh -huh. that's when they decided it was a gun, you know? <laughs> Evidently, that's some people's theory. Some people think it's just a sword, and they thought some people think it's the result of glaciers or maybe it's a Native American carving of, like, a hatchet. Um, you know, the jury's out. I mean, people, there's some people that don't think the Sinclair uh, expedition ever happened. There's some people think it definitely happened. There's a lot of, uh, um, you know, naysayers, yeah, but a lot of people believe it. Derek. Derek, I mean, if you go to the, the little museum there, they have they have some very good um, pictures of the the Westford night that were um, enhanced. They added uh, um, 
I forget what chemical they put in it, but it went in and all the grooves and everything. And, and the, the night, the whole thing, the shield and everything is, is very clear in, in, in the picture that they did back in, I forget what year it was. But that's oh, at the Western Museum. Oh, the Western Museum. Yeah, I'm, I'm wondering, though, Ron, I'm wondering if what that was was maybe Frank Glenn um, used chalk maybe to enhance what he saw. I'm not sure if it was a chemical maybe or I, I thought maybe it was enhanced by chalk in 1954 when it was rediscovered when when Frank Glenn and uh, an amateur that could archaeologist be. from it, it very, could well be Derek I'm I'm not sure yeah. of the what it was exactly but all I know but, is whatever you can actually see I mean it's a full size uh drawing or whatever it is picture or I don't know right. what the heck you want to call it uh, and yeah. you can s- clearly see the knight and and, and the shield and the, and the sword and everything it's a, it, it's pretty good it's a, a tiny yeah. little museum but it's got some really interesting things in it oh, it's a wonderful museum and they also um they they yeah they've whole, the whole exhibit I think it's like the second floor right it's a pretty good exhibit of yes. the whole yes. Sinclair voyage theory and um and those and those drawings it's been drawn a few times and I know that I uh, I think her name was Mariana Lines, if I'm saying her name correctly, was a British um, artist who came over with the Sinclair family. She came over and did a rubbing uh, in the 90s, I believe, and um, using cloth. Right. And, and, but the, but the, photograph you're ta- the photograph you're talking about, yes, everything kind of pops, right? If you can see it right. in the, yeah. the black-white photograph. And also they have a, um, a, a replica, they have a cast of of the night and as 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 America Stonehenge with Dennis Stone and those guys up there, they have a cast of the um of of the the the, the ledge in Westford. They've, so you can see it, and you know if you look at that um cast that's in the museum, you can get you know if you were able to do it. I don't know, maybe they'll let you do it, but if if you can if you can get like a couple flashlights going and you can turn the lights off and get a raking angle across the face of the cast, things start to pop. It's a good way to get. Uh, pick photographs and stuff because when you get a like a like what I call like a raking angle just across the skimming across the surface of it, um, right. of course you'll get the natural cracks and the striations from the glaciers and things too. But but you can right. some of the the carving is punched in. It's dot by dot. It's not really carved in. It's more like a dot by dot fashion. And some and the sword especially pops. And what what people think is that that it was made if it, if if the theory is right that it was made by the person on the ship who would fix armor. And he would have like right. a metal punch and a hammer and stuff. So it was punched in like sort of dot by dot fashion. And then evidently maybe his tools started to uh, dull. They may they may have been trying to make a memorial effigy for a person who died. Ah. And okay. so and they and so then okay he's got he's got the sword going right it's pretty good and he's trying to a face and a shield. But then he you know it wasn't like at home in Scotland in 1390s where your tombstone would look like a. I mean, they would do a, a beautiful artistic rendering in 3D of the on the lid. It would, it would <laughs> be like you on the top. And I think that's the theory that, that what they were trying to do. You know, it was a fallen night. You know, you can't put him on ice and get him back to Scotland and give him a proper burial. You, you got to do something <laughs> for this guy. So they did like a quickie version. You know, like a little um, uh, something. You know, for him. Um, that's one mm-hmm. one of the theories about why it's uh, incomplete because it does not compare to what you would have received being a knight in, in Scotland, and you can see these things if you go online and stuff. I, I have not been personally to Scotland, but you can see that the lids of knight's um, uh, stone coffins are, are incredible works of art. They're, they're in three, they're, you know, in relief. And they're, right. uh, they're depictions, you know. It's almost they didn't have photography, right? So you did, 
you did, you know, a, a real artistic job on the on the lid of the coffin for the person. So that's what they think the person they were trying to memorialize this night. Um, and and then like it's funny because the Westford night being so sort of near and dear to me, being a possible gun thing, um, mm-hmm. it led to all this other stuff because what happened was when when you read books about oddities. I'd be right. reading yep. in books about something, and then you, geez, you get that other kind of Fordian phenomena. You get these other funny things like Hoover the Talking Seal. And if, like, when you're reading books about strange archaeology, um, almost like Ripley Believe It or Not type stuff, you get these other things. And then I started accumulating that stuff, too, because I was like, geez, well, that's really interesting. I always liked In Search of Ripley's Believe It or Not. I was like, loved those shows as a kid and those books. And so um, I just started collecting oddities in general about Massachusetts, not just the archaeological stuff, but, um, you know, other, other things too, that were, I found interesting. And I think other people might too. That is very, very cool. And if anybody wants to see, uh, exactly what it is that Derek does, you can go to amazingmassachusetts.com. And I just put that link on our ghost Chronicles next generation page. Uh, if anybody wants to check it out, he's got all kinds of, amazing different things yeah. uh, on this website. Thank you, Anne. Thanks for that. You're welcome. Yeah, the, the, so, the, um, the amazing Massachusetts, I'll tell you, the past, uh, I've, uh, you know, like some people have different hobbies. You know, I go through little phases where sometimes I'm a little more into music or a little more into the archaeology thing or whatever. But this past winter, I know I'm back into it, and I've been going uh, to from Pitfields, you know, uh, took a couple trips out, out west of Central Mass and, even the Berkshires and trying to see some new stuff, get some new pictures. And I've been working on this idea, I think, of a book long enough. It's got time to close the files and, you know, do something. People have been waiting for a while. So my family's been waiting. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's you got all this time now, right? Right. Yeah. I think I told you guys this three or four years ago, but uh, truthfully, it's, it's an idea whose time has come. I mean, there's, yeah. it's just there's so much it stuff has. to talk about. I don't need any more stuff. <laughs> there's tons of stuff to talk about. So. So, how many sites have you investigated? Oh, God, oh, it's hard to say, Ron. Jeez, um, I'm not sure in total. I mean, the, I've been to standing stone sites in Massachusetts, multiple chambers, um, inscriptions like, you know, Dighton Rock and Westford. I've found a few things um, that I actually, there are things called, some people call horseshoes. Uh, they're sort of U-shaped uh, structures that look a little bit like a very small wall, like a you know, a, a pile of stones in the shape of a of a horseshoe or a U. And uh-huh. some people, it's thought that some of these might be, you know, some, if they're not very old, might be a hunting blind. But other people think they are sort of sky-watching shrines that Native Americans who were on, like, a vision quest. Uh, and, and, and you go out west, it's a known thing. I mean, you go to the top of the mountain and you'll see three of them, you know, and, and it's a known thing. It's Native American, don't mess with it. It's it's where the, the young uh person might go to have a visionary experience, uh, maybe fast for a while. And also you think about it, if these, if the Native Americans were watching the skies, um, you know, astronomical stuff, if you make a horseshoe shaped structure that you can put your back against on the side of a hill somewhere in what's now Foxborough Mass or something, you can go back to the same spot. So it's not, so you're getting like the same view every time. Mm-hmm. You know, if right. you're trying to, to understand the heavens and understand movements of stars and things like that oh, and right. the cosmology, okay. you get the same spot. If you build a little structure, you know you went right back to the same spot. 
Mm-hmm. Um, so some of these things. So I just spotted one. Actually, I'm pretty excited about it. I don't know if it's a blind or if it isn't. It is an ancient horseshoe, but it looks pretty good. And I was up in um, Peabody the other day, um, and this thing has the good fortune to be sort of near some power lines. So it probably would not be developed or anything like that. A house probably won't ruin or anything like that. It's and um, um, it's funny. I'm just talking about where it is. I, you know, with these things, it's a little bit of a delicate balance about telling people about it because you're trying to <laughs> wa- raise awareness that these things exist, and also people really kind of don't like you talking about it because uh, I understand because um, there's the destructive element and there are kids that knock things over and there's all that nonsense that goes on in the world too. It's kind of negative. It's tough. Like graveyards. Yeah, just like graveyards. Yeah. And it's like, it's tough because in my book, like I probably would just say what town something is in because that's kind of like what most books do that have come before me. Um, You know, it's Mm -hmm. in Hopkinton. It's in, it's in Marshfield. It's in whatever. I don't give addresses. The only thing I probably would put address as far as, Things that are like public, like Dighton Rocks State Park. I mean, that's a that's a you know protected thing, and it's a state exactly, park. Exactly right. Known. Yeah. So if it's like the Newport Tower, the Dighton Rocks, these things that are well known and they are, um, there you know you can look them up and there's an address on the end. You know that kind of thing. I would say where they are, but shy of that, I don't get into too many details, um, just because of what's happened to so many things. Actually, we're talking about the horseshoes. I was just reading an account of how there was a. There was some horseshoes up on top of a mountain, and this was out west, and it actually sort of disappeared through time because the kids, the teenagers, throw the rocks off the side of the, off the top of the mountain. Off the uh. And so now, was, yeah, it's a terrible story. So, you know, I, you wouldn't want that to happen to any other structures that are potentially ancient. Now, some yeah, people I think mean, all you look at you. Derek, you look at the, like the pyramids themselves. The pyramids used to be uh, beautiful. They used to be white, and they were uh, painted in uh, the white limestone, excuse me, and they had different caps on them and stuff. And they just tore all that off to build Cairo. Uh, they, so we have a habit of taking some of these old structures and uh, just not giving them the respect that they really should have so true. to preserve our so history. True. Yeah, look at the the Sphinx's nose. Yeah, I mean, yeah, the 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 pyramids look very different, and uh, mm-hmm. and I think there's a little bit left on the Great Pyramid, right? You can see sort of how it looks, maybe with some of that white limestone. But yeah, basically right. it's been it's been you know, and and yeah, money talks and history walks, right? People yeah. <laughs> they, they scavenge that they scavenge that thing to 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 do to do something else with the beautiful white limestone. But that's what I don't want to happen to some of these smaller sites and sites that are probably maybe sacred to Native Americans. They'd be cognizant of that. And um you know, so it's a delicate balance between talking about them and but I like I said, I'm just gonna follow the format of other of other authors that have like that have come before, you know and done things where you right. just kind of state the town maybe or the lo- general, you know, self shore. So how do you, Derek? Like, how did you find out about this particular thing in Peabody? How do you, how do you find these places? Do people reach out to you? It, how does that work? Well, it's a combination of things. It, people have reached out to me. In that particular case, there's an excellent researcher, and he's he's a little bit older now, but I used to meet with him years ago, uh, Leonard Keane, and Len used to Len. Um, you know, he's still with us, which is great, but he's getting a little bit older. And uh, he was an expert on what's going on up in, like, Linfield, Lynn, like the Lynn Woods and Peabody. And years ago, he took me to this sort of propped boulder. So if you can picture this sort of good-sized multi-ton 
a giant boulder with like one end up in the air with like a little pegstone under it. And I was trying to mm-hmm. go the other day um, just to get a new picture of it because, um, you know, obviously we have better, I mean, my, my, my phone has a better camera than I probably had as a camera camera 20 years ago. So I went yeah, to get a new right? picture of this thing. Exactly. And I, I couldn't, you know, it has more megapixels or whatever. And I couldn't relocate this thing, but I ended up finding the horseshoe off to the side there. So, um, but you know what happens is um, some of this stuff is well-known. Let's say the Upton Chamber, the Upton Cave. Okay, that's like now town property. And anybody can go look at that in Heritage Park in Upton, Mass., and examine that. It was on private property. Now the town owns it. So some things are well-known. The Newport Tower, the Westford Knight, uh, Upton Chamber. Uh, some things are more obscure, and someone might write to me on Amazing Mass and say, hey, I've got this thing in my backyard in Lemonster or something. Um, sometimes it's through the group NERA. Sometimes uh, they know about things. Um, it's sometimes just through friendships of people that uh, have become friends of mine through this through this, you know, 20, 25 years of doing this, right. um, made, a lot of, mm-hmm. made a lot of contacts, made a lot of friends, and there's yep. sort of a network of people like anything that are into this stuff, and uh, and uh, so people share information. Sometimes people reach out to me to find out something that's in their hometown, or I reach out to people and say, hey, I heard you know about such and such a cool thing in your town. And, uh, so, and sometimes they're in books, uh, whether it might be um, – something by Barry Fell or uh, like America BC, or it might be something like Manitou by James Maver and Byron Dix uh, and other authors. Um, uh, Robert Ellis Cahill up in Salem wrote a book that dealt with New England's ancient mysteries. And so you just kind of, you know, some people are kind of um, uh, just getting all the data of New England. I'm kind of focused on Massachusetts, but there are people who go around from sort of Maine to New Jersey and look at these propped rocks, inscriptions, standing stones, chambers. And uh, I know, Ron, you went to, to, what is the one you went to in the cold there with uh, Dr. Uh, McLeod there, Professor McLeod? Dr. McLeod, yes, that was America's Stonehenge. That was, uh, yep, and um, we did that in February because there's supposedly you could see uh, some constellation or planet, I forget now, that was so long ago, that God. would be projected on the wall in, in one of the uh, huts, stone huts that was up in America, Stonehenge. So that so you, was, you were uh, doing this yourself? You were doing this yourself, Ron, a, a long time ago, right? I mean, you into some of the things, you know. Yes, yeah, Samuel, I mean, we, we've done other things as well, including, uh, you know, Turtle Mound, which is a phenomenal site. Uh, which you'd love, by the way. It's it's now owned by the town, so uh, you should be able to get access to it. Uh, yep. Originally, it was on private property, but uh, it's, yep. uh, it's... Are now, we talking the Andover, Andover Turtle there? An Andover yeah, but an Andover, uh, yeah, I believe. Yeah, yep. yeah. Oh, have you been there? Wonderful site. Yeah, I've, I've been there, and it's, it's, an, it's a kind of enigmatic site in that I almost feel like... Um, there's a, there's a, there's a little bit of evidence both ways on that one, and in in terms of if it's it's a if it's a construction post-colonial construction or if it's ancient. On the on the on the side of it that it might be ancient is that I, I that same Frank Glynn character that we're talking about the Westford Knight alleged that in one of the chambers on the side that he found some stone implements, including almost like a spear point that he thought mm-hmm. was really ancient, like you know whatever three thousand years old or something. On the mm-hmm. other side, if you look at the, the tunnel that goes through the, the turtle's neck, you can see right. sort of colonial drill marks on a couple of the stones there. So right. was it modified? Was it – and uh, oh, I know that – Oh, it's definitely was, modified over the years uh, because there's, there's actually, I believe, uh, cemented some of it. 
so it has been there's there's several chambers in it but right. uh there was a there was a team from um one of the universities in Canada that came down and did a lot of research, including ground uh, penetrating um, radar, and they discovered what they feel is, is the body of a, a person there. It appears to have some type of a, either a, a copper or a, or a steel sword uh, with them in this mm. grave. That's Whoa. neat. So, okay. yeah, so that's really what cool. Is- what is just because I don't know what you're talking about. So Turtle Mound, is right. it an uh, archaeological uh, dig? Is it what is it? No, it's a it's a it's basically uh, chambers. Uh, it's called Turtle oh. because it looks like a turtle. Okay. It's uh, uh, it's in my latest book, well, Ghost Chronicles. We did an investigation there. Uh, it was owned by the McCarthy's for years and years. They gave tours and everything of it. And then I believe two years ago, it was either donated or bought by the town, and the town now has jurisdiction over it. So uh, it's it's a it's an intriguing thing. You can get, there's stairs that go up to the top of it, so you can go up to the top of the, the mound. Right. Um yeah, it's it's so. Yeah, I mean, I, I I agree with you. I think it it it's changed over the years, Derek. I think that's why it's sure. it's messed up. It's sort of like America Stonehenge. America Stonehenge is is basically a big screw up because we don't know what what the original is and what it is because there were stones that were taken away and then it was removed and and put back together. And so it, it's unfortunately it'll get all muddled up. Mm-hmm. Sure. The, okay. Yeah, it gets it gets tough when you take things because you change the context. Like when when Goodwin sort of reconstructed some of the things, like the sacrificial table area. And but on right. the turtle thing, um, if Anne can picture it, it's I believe it's about eighty five or ninety feet long. It's a stone and earthwork, and from the air, it roughly approximates. It's rounded. If you picture like sort of a snapping turtle, like a rounded shape and a head shape, and sort of some arms sticking out. But it's rough. Oh. I mean, it's not real. Yeah, it's it's a sort of generalized turtle shape, and the sides of the turtle's body have a like Ron said, third to the chamber on each side, and there are standing stones on top of this thing. And oh. the guy evidently, one of the people who owned it, uh, Ron, that he put like sort of a little we're, tea house on it, and he planted. We're some, gonna have to we're gonna have to hold on that, Derek, because we've oh, got to take a break okay. right now. Okay. Anyways, you're listening to Ghost Chronicles: Next Generation with Ian Carrigan and Ron Kolick and our special guest Derek Gunt, right here on Tujinet and Pararex Radios. And we'll be right back after the following messages. Do you have a paranormal event? book or something else you want people to know about then why not advertise it on ghost chronicles radio with over 150,000 downloads a month get your message out to an audience that's interested in the subject we have a plan at a cost that fits your needs for more information contact ron kolick at any ghost project at comcast.net or call 978-455-6678 hello hello can you hear me my name is harry price i am speaking to you via the medium of the ghost box Many of you will know I carried out the first live radio broadcast from Haunted House way back in 1936 for the BBC. Now, thanks to the wonders of modern technology, I am still able to keep abreast of 21st century ghost hunting 
by listening to Ghost Chronicles International on Togginet, Parax Radio, The Ghost Channel, and even on something called a podcast. Two splendid chaps host it. One is an American who calls himself New England's own Van Helsing, although I have discovered his real name is Ron Kolek. The other is Stephen Parsons, and he's a paranormal scientist. Well, mustache, I'm required elsewhere on something called a K2. But don't forget, I'll be listening in every Tuesday from 8 o'clock in Great Britain and 3 o'clock on the American Eastern Seaboard. I trust you will join me there. And welcome back to Ghost Chronicles Next Generation with Ron and Ann and our very special guest this evening, Derek Gunn from Amazing Massachusetts. We're back. We're right back. And, so and we were, were talking about talk- other- I was going to say, Ron, where were we at when we were just left for the commercial break? We were talking about <laughs> Andover's uh, Turtle Mound. Right. We were talking about Turtle Mound. You were describing it to Ann because she's never been there before. So uh, yeah, well, it's get, something she can go see now because it's the you know the town is in control of it, and uh, as you said, the McCarthy family used to you know let some people investigate it, but now it's something you can park your car at the end of the little cul-de-sac and walk back and uh, and look at it and a little gravel uh, little walkway up to it. Um, That's really it's and, nice that they they cared enough or whatever you know maybe the owners donated it to the town and they you know. They sustain it, keep and yeah, keep it up. Yeah, it's great when things like that uh, have become available to researchers. Like like the Upton Chamber is now a heritage park, and like Ron said, the the Andover Turtle here is uh, something that uh, an interested person who's new to this or or old to it and haven't seen it, uh, but someone who wants to see some of these enigmatic things around Massachusetts, around New England, can go visit it now. So it's it's great the town did that, and it's great the town of. Uh, of Upton did that too. I was very happy that Upton Chamber is a very special one. I thought that was it's a really great example of a of a corbelled roof chamber. And uh, some of these things get torn down, and and all oh, the kids yeah. are playing in it, or it's become unstable. But Upton um, not only saved it and sort of um, and had a mason come in and fix the front of it because it was in disrepair and falling in. Mm-hmm. And uh, they actually did some ground penetrating radar and some OSL optical. Uh, what's the word? Uh, they do some some testing to, on some of the sand samples inside the chamber near the bottom of the stone. It's it's I believe OSL dating, yeah. and uh, they got a, some early dates for that Upton Chamber, which kind of showed it was not a colonial uh, root cellar, pro- probably not. So yeah, see that's a lot of problems that uh, people who aren't uh, familiar with these structures. Uh, get mixed up and and you know they they see these these chambers and they they think well oh my god this is an ancient thing and this is a lot of them were colonial root cellars there are also other chambers that uh were used to keep like some cattle in as well uh you'll see the same chambers in the uk as you do here they usually buy um sources of water which is one of the, the the theories for a turtle mound because this the pond is right there as well um i believe it's so, pond, yeah. 
Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, you know, it, it takes a lot just because you you see, you know, it's like people that do ghost hunting, they go to a go. <laughs> Excuse me. They go into a house and something happens, and they automatically jump. It's haunted or something. When mm-hmm. it's just sometimes it's not. It's just a creaky old house. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that, all that happens, right? You got you've got to discern and weed those cases out where it's it's not what you're looking for. And and that's you know I, I find that in the whole um, this stuff that you know that sometimes people um, they might see say a foundation of a house in the woods, and they get very mm-hmm. excited about it. And they write to me and they think it's maybe like some kind of ancient thing, like an American Stonehenge type thing. And it's, and it, it, it ends up being something that's colonial, you know, or post-colonial in nature that there was a house there, but now just, you're just looking at the foundation. Right. 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 You got to <laughs> sort of weed through that stuff because there's a lot of that because these colonial farmers and uh, these people that lived here before us in New England were, gosh, they had their Puritan work, uh, the, you know, that they had, they, they worked from sun up till sundown. Some of these people, you know, they were very hardworking people. And they moved a lot of stone, as you can tell by any town you go around here. How many oh, yeah. stone walls are erected next to wall, next to the roads and things? And uh, oh, yeah. so, um, but there's a, you know, some of these things, you know, you wonder. There's a whole, a lot of, uh, in the people that research the stuff, there's a lot of talk now more about um, walls that might be more ancient than colonial times. That there might be um, that the Native Americans were making stone rows, and you can read about this in Manitou. Um, that book is a good good read about. Native American people using stone in this area because it's kind of strange, right? We think that we know their cousins down, you know, the Native Americans that people built beautiful temples down in San Mexico and there's things in Southwest America that were Native Americans built in stone. But we seem to think like they didn't do stone stuff past arrowheads or something here and or, or well, they, grinding stone. And we they know did they it did. The you plains know? in Ohio and so forth. They built the, the mounds and so forth. The mount, right. So that's what I'm saying. Like, why wouldn't we think that they used that they did earth earthworks here and they did larger scale work with stones. And the thrust of Manitou is that the Native Americans built up to and including the chamber level, which sometimes right. people in like the near early nearer days and the early sites research society days, they thought any of these chambers that we saw had to be early visitors, you know, right. and maybe some of them had contact with her, but but the thing is, though, is that it's, it was almost like, no, it's, we did, we did, it's just like the mound building, the, all that racism type stuff. Like, oh, they, the Indians didn't do this stuff. And then for a long time, people didn't, you know, they were saying sort of the same thing about stone structures in New England, like things like the Upton Chamber say. Um, so it's, it's hard to know what happened in the past. It really is. This, the, the past is probably more complex than we'll ever imagine. Right. And more complicated. I have a question you know? about... Yeah. Okay, so you you look at a lot of rocks, and <laughs> now there's there's two things. So there's standing stones, and there's perched boulders. Can you tell our audience so so what is the difference between them, and what is their significance? Okay, well, okay, standing stones are usually upright slabs of rock, and around here they would vary from maybe like say. You might find one like that's maybe like a foot or two tall, up to maybe about five or six feet tall. Typically in Massachusetts, that'd be a tall one. Um, there are tall examples in Cushnet and in my hometown of Marshfield that I spotted one years ago. It's actually an amazing mass. If you look at the about Derek Gunn section, you'll see a picture of the one I noticed in '95. Um, okay. But what standing stones and standing stones are a worldwide phenomena. They're just not just Great Britain. I mean, their standing stones are a worldwide thing. Man, man people have erected stones, and of course. Sometimes when you're in the woods, you'll see a slab of rock that's upright, and it's a town. 
it's the, you know, here's Taunton, here's Raynham type, you know, CT on one side. Those are not really what I'm looking for. I'm looking for ancient standing stones. And, mm-hmm. um, but standing stones, it's very hard to say just a simple answer about what they're about because there's a multitude of answers. So some of this might have to do with um, it memorializes an important person or a place or something happened here, like a stone mound might as well. Standing stones mm-hmm. might have to do with phallic worship in some cases. Uh, in ancient societies, when they okay. represented the generative organs of the men and women, um, uh-huh. standing stones might have to do with calendrical things, like almost like a, like a Stonehenge type thing, where you have standing stones that um, have astronomical um, alignments um, for sunrises and sunsets and things like that. Um, so there's not it's, there's not like a one simple answer, and that's sometimes what makes it hard to know what you're looking at. You know. You're trying to understand the motives of somebody that's not next to you, that you can't say, why did you do this? It's But right. there are, in New England, uh, Vermont has some very good standing stones. And in Massachusetts, I've never been able to find this, but in Stockbridge or West Stockbridge, I actually went looking the last time I went out in the Berkshires a couple of months ago. There's, in the town of West Stockbridge, I believe, a beautiful, like, nine-foot standing stone, which is pretty spectacular. And wow. it's in the book, man, so I can't find it. Nobody seems to know where this thing is. And uh, but standing stones, so perched rocks and propped rocks and things like that are entirely different thing. That's more like if you look at the North Salem, New York, so-called dolmen, uh, if you Google North Salem, New York dolmen or cat face dolmen or whatever, you will see it's it's a it's a boulder and it's up on what I would call peg stones. In the case of the one in New York, in Salem, New York. Uh, they're sort of upright, almost like little standing stones. I believe there are five of them, four mm-hmm. or five of them underneath it. And um, again, see, this gets tough. People like to compartmentalize information. Some people think these things are all glacial. Some people think these things are all, oh, my God, it's all man. We know mm-hmm. certainly from the great, from great Britain, from great example in Great Britain, that, that men, people did erect huge stones. And elsewhere in the world, and, and there, there are dolmens in, in Korea, and there's dolmens in, in all, all different kinds of parts of the world. Um, to me, interestingly enough, sometimes these dolmens appear where there never were glaciers, we don't think. So so it, it's obviously the agency, it's people, you know. But what well, it is around here, so that, yeah. If you look at this well, thing, right, if anybody goes, so this is North Salem, Dolmen. This is in the UK, right? Um, no. Oh no. I'm sorry. Uh, you said no, New York. Sorry, I was looking yeah. at the wrong thing. Um, I, guess so. <laughs> I mean, yeah. It looks like. I mean, how else would it get there? It it has like little feet underneath it. Yeah. <laughs> like how well, else? Well, there, how could a there glacier are just place it there? <laughs> there are there are naysayers, and who will say this is all the work of the glaciers? And that that uh, that these things were deposited and in and, and, and sort of tumbling out when when glaciers move when recede, and that they they landed that way. Um, maybe there was some dirt around it, and the dirt has since gone away into land. I mean, there are some of them to me that seem to be that you look at it and you say, "Geez, I, you know, I get the feeling from this. I'm not scientific, but it's a feeling that this was the work of people." And Sometimes they yeah. have three peg stones underneath, underneath them, or, or you know, you just look at that and you wonder. And it seems to me that maybe the native, that Native Americans might have been erecting these um, for 
they were very much in tune with earth energies and they you know slept on the ground and they were there is seismological activity i mean you get up to like uh, the north shore and stuff we don't have the massive earthquakes that say like san fran does but we have smaller and more frequent ones and we act active seismologically there are faults and things and so you wonder if that in part of their cosmology working with stone that maybe um some of these rocking stones and some of these perched rocks that are up on pegstones like that are almost like I'm not sure exactly why they did it but maybe it had something to do with some of the seismological stuff especially the rocking stones mm. um yeah and, really interesting. and it, it's hard to know. Like I said, it's hard to know the motives of ancient peoples. Um, but the standing stones are thin, usually upright slabs, and the and the perched boulders are very different. They're more like what They're you're high. looking at now on the internet, rounded, up on peg stones. And um, and I think the answer with the perched boulders is, and like I said, most people want to compartmentalize, you know. But I think the answer is some of these things are probably natural formations, and some yeah. of them have been helped along by man. Maybe they've been mm-hmm. tuned. Maybe they've actually, some of these rocking stones and things that are up on, on bedrock and that rock back and forth. Um, if you scallop out the bottom a little bit, if you peck away at it and you make the contact surfaces less, you could increase its rockability. There are rocking stones in New England. Most of the ones I've seen don't rock anymore, but rocking stones in the literature, they say that uh, like a child or a single person could get moving with one hand. It's incredible. Mm-hmm. It's like things you see in England. And nowadays, there was a beautiful rocking stone. Uh, it's still there, but it doesn't move up in uh, Shrewsbury. Um, they're, they're out there, but the, and the Fall River Rolling Rock has been stabilized. That's right off. You can see that right from your car uh, across huh? from Lafayette Park um, on Eastern Avenue. Uh, and, and So they're, they're around, but most of the rocking stones I've seen don't move anymore. They all seem mm-hmm. to be sort of stabilized. Well, um, it's a lawsuit just waiting to happen. Look at it that way. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you can, you in, can in see some of these standing stones where people get that impression because you go up to like Franconia Notch and, and that area there, and you'll see these giant boulders are standing totally upright. And they're more of a, you know, glacial. Those are really glacial deposits. So if you see those versus, you know, some of the ones that are around here, then you can see where they jump to conclusion that, oh, yeah, see, uh, you know, it's just a glacial deposit. Nobody erected right. Hmm. Right. But what about, like, uh, there's there's one I, I see, Derek, on your site, um, the Standing Stone, out in Heath, Massachusetts. I'm assuming that's okay. out near the Berkshires. It sure um, is, yeah. And, and this, to me looks arranged you know it's oh, almost like oh yeah stone stonehenge ish uh and it's it's got this flat areas around it you know i mean i've yeah. never been there but that, i'm just looking at a picture and that's what it makes me think of Ab- absolutely and that is the work of of of, of people that's not a anything to do with glaciers it's on top of uh burnt hill it's one of the most spectac- spectacular standing stones standing stone sites i've ever seen in massachusetts it's uh it's a it's actually a working blueberry farm and um in 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 that area of course you know when you have areas like burnt hills places that are named burnt hills the native americans periodically burned over the land mm-hmm. and and they do that now actually at that blueberry farm when you open it up it promotes the growth of blueberries and things like that right. and you have less like underbrush and stuff but um in fact i think when people first came to new england they some of the some of the areas they found them to be almost like park like it was almost like like england 
you know, so I kind of mm-hmm. like, it opened up the, you know, that, that, that it wasn't all like uh, people envisioned it being this like vast, like, you know, like the way a lot of our forests are now with just a lot of under, undergrowth. Um, but the, the heat site is very interesting. Again, if you want to, if people want to refer to the book Manitou, it gives a nice write up about what, what Byron Dix and James Maver, Maver um, noticed up there and stuff. And uh, I believe that site was sort of uh, first noticed around 1967 as well. And uh, um, people noticed that a, a couple of the stones up there, two of them in particular, out of those standing stones, when you, if you're there on um, December 21st for the sunrise or conversely looking the other way on June 21st for the sunset, that two of those standing stones, one of them is like sort of scalloped out like a gun site. Mm-hmm. And if you look over one of the tops of the tall pointed standing stones and you look over to the other standing stone that's scalloped out on top, the sun comes down on June 21st and settles along the edge of a distant mountain. And in between on the same hillside where you're standing is a sort of a pile of white quartz, which was significant to Native Americans as well. And this thing acts as sort of almost like a little mini Stonehenge. I mean, it looks like a calendrical site. And um, it is private property, and the person who owns it doesn't appreciate people traipsing through if you don't go knocking <laughs> at her door or something. Yeah, she's she's had some problems, I think, up there. Um, I and I think the guy who, I think the guy who owned it before had problems too. Um, but the thing is, he's a spectacular standing stone uh, site, and the stones are about four and a half, maybe approaching five feet tall. Um, I'd say they're under five. They're more like four. Um, but they work as a as a sort of calendar on December 21st and and uh, and June 21st. And um, the, there are some people who think that there's all kinds of theories about the heat site. You know, was it Boy Scouts? Was it modern day sort of New Agers like 50 years ago? Is it is it really ancient? But those stones are sort of socketed into the bedrock up there. Yeah. Uh, the bedrock you're seeing, the flat area, the gray flat area that you're noticing in the picture, yeah. those stones are socketed into sort of crevices. And there are stones down the bottom of the high standing stones that are sort of keeping it in place, wedged in there. And... What's going on that, that I kind of don't like, I mean, I don't, is that, like, you go up to that blueberry farm, there are actually two or three of them in a row there, I think two of them at least, and uh, people making modern stone piles and, you know, there's yeah, just yeah. people doing some stuff. So 100 years from now, we're not going to know what was really old and what was done now. Mm-hmm. But people are, you know, if you see by the side of the road, people making all kinds of stone um, stacks in their yards, and now it's a thing to do, I guess. And, and so someday we won't know what we're looking at. But... um <laughs> but yeah, Heath is pretty spectacular. Heath is—I love Heath, and it's—it's—it's uh, it's, it's really cool. They're just at the top of the hill there, and just it just when you're there, just it, you can see almost—you can't see 360 degrees around, but you can see maybe like 260 degrees around, like to the mountain sides of other mountain, you know, to the tops of other mountains. It's—I believe Burnt Hill is the highest place in the town of Heath, and uh, Heath touches Vermont. So yeah, you're up in the—you uh, probably I think uh, about 1,700 feet above sea level. It's beautiful up there, and. Uh, um, Looks amazing. Yeah. Oh, I love that place. I love that place. One of my favorite places. Um, and uh, yeah, I mean, if you think about Massachusetts. We have standing stones. We have stone chambers. We have perched rocks. We have various inscriptions. We have various anomalous artifacts. Whether they be we have um, table rocks too, right? I'm sorry. What was the word? Table rocks. They. It's yeah. a, a yep, flat rock a- that's. Yeah, there's a beautiful table rock in Westport, um, and there's some table rocks on. There's one in Lynn. The one in Lynn, see, it's funny. We talked about these like little these dolmens or these 
purchased rocks and things. The one in Lynn that I saw, I realized as I was looking at it, I was there years and years ago when my kids were little, and then I went back this winter. And after maybe like 20 years of not being there, and I went up there and I found it again. And I noticed that under it, with the there's sort of three peg stones, that one of the three peg stones wasn't really just a single stone. It was a little rock stack. So oh, like uh-huh. one of the one of the peg stones was a single bo- little boulder. One of the you know the single rock. The other one was a single rock. And then the third section was like a rock on top of a rock. So I said, well, geez, that's got to be people barracks because that's the glaciers didn't do that one. You know what I mean? They they right. arranged two stones on top of each other and then got the big boulder on top. So sometimes you get little clues like that, like I was aha, you know. And it wasn't a ginormous boulder. It was something that conceivably could be moved by men. I mean, I wouldn't want to move it by myself. I don't think I could move it by myself, but a team of people you know, in cooperation could certainly do it. And, um, and, uh, it's in an area that has some things I think are naturally occurring, probably glacial erratics and things. But, um, this one with the little stack for one of the peg stones where it's two stones to me, I said, uh, uh-uh, that's, that's not glaciers. That's people, you know? Right. So, um, yeah. yeah. The, the so only problem with, around with that too. is like the, the glacier would always push the, the smaller stones first. And then when they receded, you could see where it would almost have that same effect where you would have the small stones under the larger one. Yeah, so, sort of, you're saying like a tumbling down out of the ice? And it gets to be that yeah, way? Yeah, when the, yeah, when the glacier came, it would push everything there. So some of those stones were actually erected by the glacier. And sure. if they were already under the lower ones, and then as the water, as the glacier retreated, of course, they, 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 some of them, not all of them, of course, some of them would still be standing. So you would get that effect where you would have smaller stones under a, uh, a large stone. Uh, sure. But, you know, that's, that that's cool. just one of the things. I'm not trying to give say that that's what, what all these other things are. I'm just saying no, that, well, that, that does happen. That's it, Ron. That's that's why I'm saying I think some of these things are naturally occurring things, and some are the product of of man. And uh, right. And, and and how do we know what's what? It's tough. That's and, the uh, hard you part. Know, you get a feeling. Time. Yeah. That's that's why I felt like that one in Lynn was a pretty good example of you could demonstrate like, hey, look, this really looks like it was done by people because it was a rock stack was one of the contact points. It wasn't mm-hmm. just a little boulder and three points. It was two right. stones on top of each other. But the other thing too, in my research is that. Um, Besides mentioning the stone stuff, is that we have a um, we have a number, you know, not a ton, but we have a, a little handful of anomalous artifacts that are kind of strange and may possibly indicate some co- glancing contact with ancient uh, transatlantic uh, peoples. Uh, contact, really? um, there, yeah. Well, I mean, there are, there are um, there are a series of anomalous coins that have been found. Uh, including yeah. two in Marshfield, uh, and, and one by my own cousin Kim, which is awesome. Uh, my cousin Kim Peschel found a, a beautiful uh, uh, Byzantine coin on either right. Green Harbor Beach or Brant Rock Beach. And then in more recent times, a metal detectorist with his father, or I think around 2006 or 2010, something like that, recently, fairly recently, uh, found a Roman coin on Green Harbor Beach in Marshfield. So that's pretty uh, neat. And then I just saw an account, if you Google this, um, a man who was a carpenter or some kind of construction guy in from Salem was working in Manchester-by-the-Sea in 2006. Mm-hmm. And on Holy Thursday of 2006, in April 2006, he found a Phoenician shekel in a mm-hmm. hole 
uh, in, in, in near a dock where he was working or something. He was, I don't know if he was making a little dock behind somebody's house or something. But he found an anomalous coin in Manchester by the Sea, which Manchester by the Sea has, of course, uh, Agassiz Rock, which is a spectacular perched boulder, um, unbelievable, um, with a very triangular pegstone that it's leaning up on. And um, <clears throat> and that's, again, I've got the town park or whatever. You can go visit Agassiz Rock, of course. But uh but yeah, there's been um, there's an anomalous shield that was found off of Brant Rock in the 50s that nobody seems to know where it is now, and that's on the Amazing Webs Amazing Mass website. There are some coins, um, and um, and even in old times, you got I mean, like in 1787, there were some workmen that were doing some work on the um, Cambridge Malden Road, they called it, and they found a, a cache, a hoard of medieval Arab coins. Um, oh. which is really unusual. They were handing them out to passers-by. There's a, there's a drawing of one on my website, if you go to Strange oh, Artifacts. <laughs> and they were handing them out to passers-by. And the interesting thing is about a, about a cache of medieval Arab coins is that people say, well, geez, does that mean the medieval Arab people were coming over? But if you look into this, it actually might be Viking evidence because yeah. they find caches of medieval coins in Scandinavia. And more than once. And evidently the Vikings not only made it into, they were all the way around into the Mediterranean two different ways. They went through rivers over, you know, the, the, the Russian yeah. side there, and then they yeah. went through the Straits of Gibraltar side of the side. So uh, it's amazing, but they do find caches of Arab coins in Scandinavia as well. So there's all that talk that Ed, Professor Eben Horsford did. I think we talked about that last time. Uh, with the guy who erected the monument of Leif Erikson down there near the Boston Common and stuff, and he thought he found the ruins over by the Watertown Cambridge line, roughly, of Leif's, um, maybe one of his houses or something. But it's funny, they did find some coins, and nobody knows where these coins are. All we have is a drawing or two. But, um, you know, so there's some strange metal shields, there's been some coins found, and there's... Um, some inscriptions like Dighton Rock and various things like the Westford Knight. And, uh, and, there's the, and there's that, isn't that, I think we talked about it last time, there's a head that was found? Yeah, oh yeah, in, um, that's right, in the town of um, uh, Essex, Mass. Uh, I believe it's owned now by the Peabody Essex Museum. Essex Museum, and, uh, yes. Yeah, hmm. I, I just reached out to them because I wanted to actually see that. I've never seen it. I've seen it in pictures. But I've never seen it. It's about twice life size. It was found around 1810, 1811, deep. It was found like something like 10 feet down while they're excavating a, for a house. So you got a picture. This is like 190 years after the pilgrims landed. Not a lot of time in a way. In, ge in geological time, it's not a lot of time. And they found this deep. There's this stone head that some people think might have Celtic or Rom Romano-Celtic aspects. It looks a little bit like some stone heads found in that the Celts did. So possibly. Um, and so, yeah, they, that is now, I mean, I, it's funny that this whole COVID thing, we didn't really get too much into that, but uh, I actually was reaching <laughs> out to see that stone head because I wanted to ask this if I could take a picture of it and see it in person. And did I they was getting to reply to you. They did what you have to do. You know, it's a process and you have to sort of apply and you have to tell them which object you want to see in the clay. It's a little process. Uh, and I yeah. All right. of that. Unfortunately, that is the end of the show. So we've got to wrap it up. So. Uh, oh, okay. Absolutely. Uh, wow. Wow. Although I did not hear the bell. Did you hear the bell? I heard that. I heard it. 
Okay. It, it was Anyways, uh, you've been listening to Ghost Chronicles Next Generation with Ann and Ron, and our special guest is Derek Gunn. Today's show is brought to you by Circles of Wisdom, 386 Memorick Street in Bethune, Massachusetts, and the Gallant Messier Family Law Group on 4 High Street in North Andover, Massachusetts. And check out my uh, check go to West, um, Circles of Wisdom, and we have a free online event tomorrow night if you want to join me. Uh, so good night and God bless, Derek. Thank you so much. Thanks, Derek. Thank you guys so much. I can't wait to come back next time. Thank you. Good night. Bye-bye. to ghosties, long-leggedy beasties, and things that go bump in the night. Deliver us, good Lord.